Welcome to the Untribal Podcast, the show that gives you news content by regular people for regular people. Today I'm joined by Seamus Carey in the third of our three-part Fringe preview, and he is the lead actor of show Help, I Think I'm a Nationalist. Seamus Carey, how are you doing today, Seamus? You all right? I'm very good. Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, no worries at all. And by nationalism, are you talking about us Scots? Are we losing the plot? Or who needs help? Is it you? <laughs> it's definitely me. It's definitely <laughs> me. Yeah. Uh, I guess the show is a sort of provocative, some people find it controversial, um, theatre comedy show where I play a slightly exaggerated version of myself grappling with the pros and cons of nationalism. And I'm from Cornwall and your listeners might or might not know that there's a sort of, I mean, I don't know whether strong is the right word, but there is a, there is a sense of national separate identity in Cornwall. And I sort of, that came, I came head to head with it over the past few years. And, and so I decided to make a show kind of delving into that. And I guess there are many universal parallels that we're probably going to discuss, particularly to do with Scotland and, and the Celtic nations, as it were. Nice one. Well, tell us about yourself, Seamus. Where are you from? What's your story? I grew up in Falmouth, which is a kind of harbour town in, in Cornwall. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, I'm very lucky in the fact that my parents are very arty and my dad was a composer and um, a theatre maker. So he worked with a theatre company that were very kind of Cornish-based called Knee High. And so I grew up being exposed to that world and sort of it not being like a a magical world which was inaccessible you know we he'd often be working on a show and we'd have to go see it several times over the summer we'd go backstage and meet the cast and and so that that world got broken down for me as just like an everyday part of life you know so in a way i was slightly doomed to end up doing exactly the same kind of stuff that he did and i i, I dropped out of college when i was 17 and i kind of just knew that i wanted to be a musician and a performer and very luckily have worked in that field ever since and I, I did a lot of touring other people's shows uh playing in the band playing music in theater shows for about six or seven years and then i came back to cornwall because I, growing up in cornwall there's definitely a narrative that you have to go away to make it you can't stay where you have grown up and be happy like that i mean there's even a thing about having a cornish accent i mean you probably know this i don't have a very strong west country accent sort of generic kind of british i guess and um although it depends who i'm talking to and what time of the evening it is i guess but or how many wines you've had like not having... yeah exactly exactly and, <laughs> and, and it depends how many it, it's sort of having a cornish accent was always put kind of frowned upon as you won't get very far if you've got a west country accent you know and that kind of thing and you have to go away to make it big there's no there's no jobs there's no security here in cornwall and i guess to a degree, there is an element of truth there, but I went away and just really missed it. And making my own work felt way more exciting doing it in a place which is a bit more challenging. You know, that there is less funding. There are less theatres, there are less venues. And, but in a way, that feels a bit un more unique, you know, because if you're in a city, there's just so many people trying to do it. Um, and a lot of the work that gets made in Cornwall often is a bit, for my money... It's a bit safe. There's a lot of kind of, there's a romanticised version, like a holiday tourist aspect of, it's the land of miners and fishermen and piskies and beaches and 
and a lot of the work they get to make here is like that. So I wanted to make work with, which is a bit more kind of spicy and provocative and makes people ask questions. And and that is, I guess, exactly what I'm doing right now. <laughs> so why are opportunities so scarce in Cornwall? Because Cornwall, as I remember, it's somewhere where you go for for your holiday when you're younger. Or I don't, is it is it is it a place where people go to have second homes? For example, is that is that a problem down there? What, what what's the chat in Cornwall? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So come on, have you have you been on Cornwall? You've been to Cornwall holiday, have you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went. I went. I think yeah. I went when I was like eleven or something. Like that. I can't remember. Yeah, I, love ago. I love this. I love this. What's What's your memories? What's your kind of, you know, what's this, what do you think of when you think of Cornwall? I want to know. I think of a big sort of playful festival, a big slide that I went down in this sort of sack <laughs> that I was petrified of because of the hype. I ended up really enjoying um, <laughs> throwing my toys at the pram when there was raspberry sauce on my ice cream and almost crying about it. <laughs> These are the memories I have. Wow. You asked me what you asked me what I think of. This is exactly what I was thinking at the time. <laughs> Yeah, man. I mean, I mean, it sounds quite traumatizing. These memories. Yeah. <laughs> and there was a bit of a there was a bit of a blend there. It was kind it was kind of fun. It was kind of good, and then it got like slowly a bit more dark when it got to the ice cream part. But yeah, no, yeah, it's yeah, it's generally well, good I'm, memories though. I'm afraid to say the raspberry stuff still exists, and you know, <laughs> so be careful if you ever come back. I mean, this is the thing, right? People come here on holiday, as as we do. You know, there's there's a cultural thing in the UK. If you go to the the coastal peninsula extremities right that's where you go for a nice weekend or a week away and cornwall is painted with that kind of ice cream and fudge and clotted cream and jam and scone and all that kind of stuff and i became a, a fascinated and kind of obsessed because that's one person's reality that's the holiday reality and then cornwall is also one of the poorest regions in europe and like um uh reliance on food banks particularly in areas like Campbell and red ruth where i lived until very recently is, is some of the highest in britain and it's it's quite amazing how there's such polar opposites there's like real hardship and poverty and lack of aspiration and lack lack of opportunity lack of funding and at the same time 20 minutes down the road from one of the poorest housing estates in the in europe is a, a town which is almost hollowed out by second homes and holiday homes mm. where in the winter there's barely any lights on because people don't live there they're just occupied in the summer so i found the kind of irony and the uh, i guess the anger that 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 causes within me uh, i found that an interesting topic i wanted to explore you know because it's full of con contradictions and 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 of course there's lots of nuance in between because who decided to sell or rent the houses to the holiday makers you know there's there are a lot of cornish people that have done really well off the holiday industry and gentrification and second home so there's so there is a thing there of like you can't always but you can't always blame the people that bought the houses you can also <laughs> blame the people that sold them as well mm. um see this sort of celtic connection thing and this this nationalist idea that you're talking about i mean the, the reason i said second home is because we have these problems in sort of remote communities in Scotland as well. People buying holiday homes and then just leave them there, and it sort of leaves the communities like a bit of a dearth. And I mean, I, I'm not sort of, yeah, I'm not really probably the best person to talk about because I've always lived in the city, but I definitely know that that goes on. But this sort of Celtic connection that you have, this sort of nationalist ideal that you're talking about, does that come from something sort of cultural and like inherently? almost what we would find patriotic in Scotland, or is it that people are just 
circumstantially raging at the status quo that their community is just being left dry basically because people are just coming and going as, as they please essentially yeah i think there's different levels to answer that question and i think there's the kind of the, the, the very real reality which is being lived right now and i guess i started making this work in 2020 when lockdown was just opening up and so the tensions the re- the tensions that we've just talked about in terms of second homes and holiday makers and that was that was tense because people were coming to cornwall for escapism and cornwall wasn't ready for it and the infrastructure wasn't strong enough to cope and people were genuinely genuinely panicked and um stressed by that and i knew a lot of people that decided to leave the city and move down to cornwall during that time to escape so so there's that right and that comes down to like parking and infrastructure and where the and the dog poo bins filling up and <laughs> people you know people getting annoyed about the roads being full all the time and people who can't reverse down country lanes and the people who who live here feel like they can and there's that kind of tension and that so that that feels like it's you know that what's that got to do with nationalism i guess is the question and i think the nationalism thing is another element and the two get blurred together so what you might not know is that Cornwall has been a self-defining place for an incredibly long time. And, um, you know, similarly with Scotland, we've got ancient standing stones. We've got Cornish hedges, which are thousands of years old. Some of the some of the oldest Cornish hedges are the same age as the pyramids, and they're still functioning as working hedges and keeping cattle. Really? Um, we've got our own language, Canuic, which was basically only spoke, you know, only spoken in, in Cornwall until the English came along and we have a natural boundary, which is the Tamar River. So we're almost like an island, right? And so there's a natural linguistic boundary there because if you look at the, the place names on one side of the river compared to the other, they're incredibly different. So in Cornwall, you get a lot of pens and trus and poles and carns. So you get Cambrai, you get uh, Trabar, tr- tr- um Trawertha, uh, you know, and then the other side in Devon, you've got Cots and Davies and Tavies, which is like the end of place names. So that, I mean, place names have been around for ages, right? Yeah, so yeah. that's one thing. But we had our language, and then in uh, in 1497, there was the uh, Battle of Blackheath, where King Henry the Seventh, um, he wanted to tax the Cornish to pay for his war with Scotland ironically and the cornish were really annoyed by this so they marched they they rebelled and they marched up to blackheath in re, in a rebellion and and you know they say thousands of people who knows the accurate number um unfortunately the cornish were defeated and many were taken prisoner and um the main leader of that michael joseph van gogh whose name has kind of become synonymous with a, with a a later movement in the 80s which was like a cornish rebellion terrorist group which is called Anne gogh he got hung, drawn, and quartered. And then uh, in 1549, King Henry VIII decided to break away from the Roman Catholic Church because he was trying to start the Church of England. And he decided, at this point, all the prayer books were in Cornish. And he decided to put them in English, or maybe it was Latin. I'm, I can't remember the exact one. But the Cornish, either way, were properly annoyed by this. So they decided to march again. They got as far as Exeter, where a massive battle took place. This was called the Prayer Book Rebellion. And this, <laughs> and tragically, the Cornish were kind of wiped out again. And and if you imagine, like that, that's like most of the men of Cornwall, right? It's not a very big spit of land. So 
then the English came as a punishment to England and killed loads and loads of people. Apparently six vicars were hanged, which is quite a strong image, I think. And they kind of really, that was kind of, a lot of people say that was a death nail for like Cornish culture as we knew it then, because the language got stamped out when we all started speaking English. Um, we were cut off from our Celtic cousins in Brittany, and there's a lot of similarities there across the waters in France. And, uh, and yeah, and I think a lot of people say that's when we started to get more English. And so some people still feel this sense of oppression and like the English are the enemy. And and this is, I think, what you will probably find interesting is there are a lot of people, a lot of Cornish nationalists who think Cornwall is a separate place. We, we should be making our own decisions. We used to. We did have a stannery parliament because of our because we've got loads of tin mining. We had our own parliaments to make decisions, right, without having to involve London. Um, we're a duchy, so we are a separate place. But that's kind of, I mean, I find that a bit cringe because it still means we're linked to, uh, you know, the royal family. But we are a separate place in terms of we're a duchy. We've got a duke. And uh, there's a lot of people that want independence. They want autonomy. They want devolution. Uh, and they look to Scotland and Ireland and Wales as inspiration. And they think that's what we want. And in fact, there's a political party called Mebby and Kerno, which is like the, the kind of they see themselves as the SNP of Cornwall. Right. And one of their members said to me, they see themselves 20 years behind Wales and 40 years behind Scotland. Now, for my money, I think that might be a bit optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's there's so many striking similarities about the history, isn't there? You know, if you, yeah. when you mentioned like an iconic figure being hung, drawn and quartered. And you think of William Wallace, of course, Absolutely. the wall, the language being taken away from us. Speaking of which, do you, do you know any Cornuic? Do you, do you know what help I think I'm a nationalist is in Cornuic? You know what? I don't know what that is. I, I've had to memorise bits because I, I wrote a song in Cornish and there's a bit in the show where I talk about Cornish, the Cornish language because it has had a, a revival in the past 50 years and it's now become quite cool and trendy and it ironically there's a welsh a brilliant welsh pop singer called gweno who she made an album in welsh but she also could speak cornish so she she made an out al two albums recently she got nominated for the mercury prize and it was the first time a celtic language album had been nominated so so uh, you know it's become a become a cool thing i don't i mean i could give you an example from the show but it I, i'm not a no spoilers no spoilers <laughs> <laughs> i don't want when, when people flood to buy tickets after this podcast i don't want them uh, to have any spoilers when they get here but no i just i i, I just find all the similarities all the stories uh, thank you for giving us that historic synopsis of cornwall by the way i find that really interesting um yeah, i just you know you, you've used the word nationalist in your title which obviously strikes an emotional chord for so many people in scotland for so many different reasons um you know, you mentioned that a lot of newspapers have come to speak to you, like the National and stuff, off camera. What did they say to you? Did you think? Did they think it was about Scotland? And what kind of what were they interested in in terms of the the Cornwall's uh, conversation down south in comparison in comparison to Scotland? Well, I think the, the thing to point out here is that it the, the framing of the show is I'm playing a heightened version of myself, right? I'm this kind of country bumpkin who's come up from Cornwall. I and I. I play that I'm very nervous and it's a, and we, we, we have the audience on three sides and it feels like a self-help group, a bit like a sort of AA meeting. And I sit down in the middle and I'm really, I'm sort of wringing my hands and I'm really nervous that I'm even going to use the, I can't even say the word nationalism, right? Where it, I can't get it out of my mouth. I'm, I'm really anxious. And the, 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 
the story is basically I'm really proud of where I'm from and I want to tell you I've come all this way I've come up to the big city I'm you know I want to tell you about this wonderful magical place um and I'm really worried that I might be this thing which has negative connotations and and so really it's coming from that angle of this guy who's come from a kind of tiny little place that's trying to claim identity and some people snigger at Cornwall for that and I, and I can see why as well like I don't really know whether we could be an independent independent nation who I mean that's yet to be seen but it's all about the word and it's about linguistics and about meaning and connotations and how there are many forms of nationalism as you've just expressed like Scotland has got its whole, whole other own kind of narrative and story and history as has Wales as is kind of anywhere really and we're all using this one word for many mm. different things. And maybe we need different words because, you know, uh, uh, being a nationalist in, um, for example, I've just been on holiday to Galicia in Northern Spain, right? Which was always a kind of separate region, separate identity. And then in Franco's time, who ironically, he was from Galicia, Franco as a dictator tried to stamp out any regional identity and make it one homogenous Spain. And mm. so in rebellion and, and in response to that, the Galician people were like, hang on a minute, we need to hold on to our food. We need to hold on to our bagpipes. We need to hold on to our dancing and not that, let that be taken away. And so kind of by definition, they became nationalists because they're sort of they're fighting against something. And then, of course, now I went to the National Galicia Day Festival or whatever, and it's it's back. It's alive and well. And so I guess. That, for me, doesn't seem like a negative version of nationalism. That feels like, oh, that's okay. I can I can get on board with that because it's in rebellion to a kind of an oppressor or an oppression from above. But wh when does it become not okay? And for me, you know, you can have, I mean, out of interest, what, who comes to mind for you in terms of Scottish nationalism independence? Who comes to mind as the coolest person that's progressive and right on and, and is doing all cool things probably nicola sturgeon but that's quite a controversial opinion up okay. here no that's fine that's that's you know that's your opinion so i feel there's a sliding scale you've got nicola sturgeon on one end and you've got adolf hitler on the other right and we're and we they both identify as a nationalist but we of course we know there's vast differences but there's this scale and i think we all move up and down that scale whether we know it whether we're self-aware enough to know it or not depending on whether we're away and we're missing home depending on whether we're at home and we're just being annoyed and disillusioned by it because it's irritating <laughs> or yeah. whether your football team is playing. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, and it can come out in different ways. And, and there's like this sort of, sort of subconscious version of nationalism, which, it, which I talk about in the show, where, which kind of, it comes out in very innocent little ways. Like I can wave a flag in a really gentle way, or I can wave a flag in a really aggressive way in your face. And, of course, we both know that there is an acceptable form of that, but, you know, it's... And my character throughout the show basically starts taking it too far, and it, and it gets it gets more and more ridiculous, and to the point where I end up doing kind of bizarre religious, sort of quasi-religious rituals with the soil of Cornwall, and I start um, sort of rubbing it all up. I get a bit obsessed about it, and, and it becomes a sort of Jekyll and Hyde character, because I'm a real, like, sweetie on one end, and I also want to take it too far and I, be I basically become a vicious fascist at the end <laughs> yeah it's, it's interesting because you talked about 
you know, however it's all under the one banner in terms of that words. I've actually been writing, I've been writing an article recently, which I've, I can't get around to finishing, but it's basically was arguing that the, the SP up here need to change, need a radical change in their sort of marketing because the word nationalist has such negative connotations. Like, it, it, uh, although nationalist movements are always proposing some sort of positive outlook or change for whatever region they happen to be in, the connotations of nationalism throughout history have been a bloodbath and horrible. And you think of people like the, the Tsar Nicholas of Russia and and Hitler and, and all these figures that have killed so many people. It's such a negative word if you think about it in a historical context. And I wonder, you know, without sort of suppressing cultural um, differences in the UK, just because uh, people make different political decisions, does that mean that their patriotism and sense of pride towards their nation is is suppressed because political decisions are made differently? Or do you think we're all kind of losing the plot arguing over uh, over these archaic um, you know, arguments and, and cultural divisions and stuff which really, they, although they don't exist quite as strongly as they do, they still exist but do you think we're losing the plot arguing over these things in the UK just now or do you think it's quite a relevant totally. conversation to be happening? Totally, totally, totally. And the thing is so, you know, I made a podcast first right, called The Reason Why and it was looking at different issues in Cornwall and that, what was nice in that is I got to break it down into episodes and address them and what I found amazing with that, I mean the podcast did quite well because um, there was one interview which was quite controversial and it, it, it sort of made national head headlines because the, the founder of the Eden Project Tim Smith said some quite kind of um, provocative stuff but even so, even though that kind of boosted the listenership, what I was really struck by is how many young Cornish people listened to the podcast and wrote to me saying, uh, like completely out of the blue, strangers saying, like, this articulates all my conundrums and arguments I have in my head all the time about, I love where I'm from, I feel proud, I think it's wicked, but I also find it disappointing and I don't, it doesn't always deliver, you know, like, and for me, the whole thing with this is like my catchphrase is it's just been about nuance, right? And we talk about bumper stickers in the show quite a lot. So I made bumper stickers which just say I heart nuance because that's kind of as like that's as like bold a statement as I would ever go, I would be brave enough to to, to make. Um yeah, I, I totally think it's difficult and you can go right because the thing is like so pride, right? like pr not not pride in terms of um the queer community sense but pride in terms of the feeling you can have for your home mm -hmm. right that can do such wonderful things that can make you feel better it can improve your mental health it can build on communities people can come together and feel like i, I mean I always for example i always use kind of um you know like how a lot of town i mean I, i'm sure it's the same in scotland in, in cornwall there's a lot of towns that have their day where like it's may day and they have their funny tradition and everybody dances down the street and the sense of pride that that evokes people people travel hundreds of miles to come home every year for that one day they paint their houses they put things up in the window they all come together they sing songs in the street it's like what's wrong with that that sounds so healthy and kind mm. of productive and constructive at the same time it's very much about identifying who who's in this town and who's not and it's very much about saying we're this community and if you come in to watch it, you're an outsider, you're a visitor. And for example, 
in the town of Halston, there's a, there's a flora dance every year on, I think it's on normally around the 8th of May. And um, the schools dance, right? The schools go down the street. They're all dressed in white. It's the, the girls and the boys have to dance with each other. They're, it's all really cringe and they're really embarrassed. But the children who've got the family heritage, who've been there the longest, get to go at the front of the queue. And the children who have recently arrived go at the back of the queue. And so what that means visually is that all the children of colour and migrants are at the back of the queue. And for me, that feels incredibly messed up and traumatising. <laughs> and so there's a really good example, I think, of saying this is about a place and we feel this pride, but it can always have a negative effect. And I think, you know, you can celebrate your culture, you can celebrate your dancing and your singing and your bagpipes and your flag and your food. And everywhere has those things, and that's okay. But it's just when it goes over the line and, you know, when it becomes competition, when we say our flag or our food or our bagpipes are better than yours. <laughs> and it's like the line is so thin and it, it moves around loosey-goosey yeah. all the time. Yeah, I guess the question we're asking, is political decision-making and nationalism mutually exclusive? I guess that's the I guess that's the conversation we're having, and it's... It's strange because arguments for nationalism in Scotland have only done well when it's moved slightly away from the patriotic kind of blood and thunder civic nationalism and more about social and economic development. That's when the SNP yeah. have always made grounds in, in Scotland's political sort of environment when they're talking about, you know, tackling child poverty and all these like sort of progressive policies. That's when the SNP do well because our counterparts in England uh, often vote parties that don't what those kind of things and that's where this sort of difference comes under but it's interesting because uh, one of the biggest arguments for scottish independence is is joining the eu like another sort of state with which would be making decisions for us but we're working together across borders but we're yeah. all still nations so we, like where we, where do we draw the line it, it's, it's interesting because obviously we get so lost in pride for our nation and things like sport and that's that's why i think it's so important i don't think that we should forget it and and just not be proud of people succeeding near where you are like we shouldn't just blur all lines all together but where you know where is it the borders matter I, I guess that's the sort of interesting conundrum that you know people across the uk find because you know a lot of people are unhappy with the status quo yeah absolutely absolutely yeah <laughs> What what a conversation we've had today! Yeah. But more more about yourself, Amy. So how how did you get into theatre? What was your what was your inspiration? Who, did you have like a favourite actor when you were younger that really inspired you to go to uh, to get into yeah, production? I, mean, I, I guess just um, being exposed to it, like I said, because my dad worked in that world, and I just um, yeah stepped into it. And I think I mean the thing I should point out like this is a comedy kind of theatre show, and I'm performing in it, and and you know I produce it and kind of. Um, make the project happen with with uh, Agnieszka Blonska, the director who's Polish. But for me, it depends what the medium is. So I, I, what the content is, I get I get kind of I'll get obsessed with a topic, and then I, and then I I think all right, I want to make a show about this topic. I want to make a project, and that doesn't necessarily have to be a, a show. It could be a podcast, or it could be a musical, or it could be a short film. And so I I tend to change what medium I work in quite a lot. So the next thing I'm making is a is a short documentary. Uh, thing after that is about masculinity and it's going to be an opera about with a load of men singing and, and I might not be in that but I want to write it and compose it so 
I kind of change my hand at what I'm up to a lot of the time, uh, mm. which for me keeps it fresh and I don't get too bored. Um, it, I, I mean, I, I particularly enjoyed this show because I get to, I get to play a, a really innocent character that everybody has empathy for. But by the end, I've become the sort of, I mean, Stuart Lee is a big influence, and I've become the sort of ranting, raging Stuart Lee kind of monster at the end. And, <laughs> uh, I have to be careful not to sound too like him. I'm aware that's a bit of a problem for quite a lot of young comedians, and uh, I wouldn't really consider myself a comedian to be honest. I just that feels like this has felt like the most appropriate kind of uh medium to explore this topic in you know a comedy show is great because it can make you laugh and then it can make you uncomfortable and it can make you think at the same time and uh yeah that that has been fun i guess yeah i'm trying to think of my other influences now i mean i watch a lot of movies as well i'm quite obsessed with film what's your what's your favorite film just now i know it always changes <laughs> for people but what what's uh, yeah. it just now? okay so what i do when i when i talk to people like this i say it's the films that I like go back to in my life. Okay. And good show. They're quite obscure. They're quite obscure, weird films. <laughs> okay. Do, do you have any? Uh, shall I listen? Well, well, just even a couple, yeah. Yeah, all right. Okay. I've got A Matter of Life and Death by Michael Prowl, uh, Powell and Emmerich Pressburger. The Straight Story by David Lynch, which is about a man that drives a lawnmower across America. Um, <laughs> One Week by Buster Keaton, where he builds a house and it keeps falling down. Um, a beautiful documentary called Sleep Furiously, which has got music by Aphex Twin. Do you know Aphex Twin? No, I, I, no, I don't. I'm, not, I'm, I'm actually not the best with films, to be fair. I don't know. <laughs> it's most of my listeners. Fair, fair, fair. fair. Um, That's it, probably, for now. Fair enough. Well, what's your favourite part about the, the Edinburgh Fringe that's obviously not doing your show? Uh, you know, so I came, I've only been once and I came 11 years ago as a punter and I, I realised the other day I was 17 at the time. Wow. And I, it was part of some like funded getting to young, getting young people to Edinburgh kind of scheme where I got, I, and it was amazingly lucky. I got an allowance where I was allowed to go see shows and they put me up in this flat and um, with all these other smelly teenagers from Cornwall. I remember that, I remember like the snoring and the smelly feet was kind of unbearable, but like <laughs> I saw stuff that I think I was only up for a weekend and I saw stuff that weekend which had such a massive influence on me, whether I knew it at the time or not. For example, I went to see a midnight screening of a silent movie with a live band playing music. Uh, and it was a horror film. It was The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. And I went home and was like, I need to do music for silent film. You know, like, mm. that's that's what I'm going to do. And there's a couple of other things as well that really had an effect. So for me, um, I... I'm just very, very excited to be able to watch loads of stuff. Because the thing is, right, I live in Cornwall. There's like one main theatre which books mainly tribute acts and musicals, which isn't my cup of tea. There's a few art centres which book cool stuff, but we're, we're really out on a limb here. So people don't often come here when they're touring. You know, we're not really on the touring circuit. So I tend to go to London every few months just to see some shows with... I just want budget. I want to see... I want to see some... That some things coming down on wires from the ceiling. You know? <laughs> like, it sounds like it sounds like the Edinburgh is a perfect place for you. And what's exactly. what's what's the kind of what's the differences have you noticed in Edinburgh since you were since you were a seventeen year old lad and then coming here now? Well, uh, I don't know. I guess the that's a hard one. I don't know. Do you know what? Because I only just arrived, so I haven't I haven't got a good angle. But 
if I can tell you a little story, which is I, I feel quite moved by it. So I run a male voice choir in, in Cornwall where I live. And it's an alternative male voice choir. And we did a gig last Sunday. And you know how at the end of school term, you used to give your teacher a thank you present, like a mm. bar of chocolate or a, or a cup or something that says world's best teacher. Um, after the gig, they took me aside. This is like 30 grown men, you know, just if you can imagine that. And they took me aside and they brought out this novelty sized check. <laughs> And that they've made out of a, uh, like a sort of banana box from the supermarket. And they'd hand drawn it. And it said, um, they basically said, this is our thank you gift for the year of making it, of getting us to sing and stuff. And we know you're going to the Edinburgh Fringe and we want you to see as many shows as possible and go get inspired and not be out of pocket. And they'd all chipped in and given me 350 quid. Which, oh. I mean, I just started crying and had to walk off. I was so oh. moved the generosity and the kindness so i've got this novelty size check in my back pocket now <laughs> <laughs> amazing I'm, I'm ready to hit the town so i haven't actually started i'm only just arrived so i i am um, i'm ready to see some stuff you know and i, and I haven't really I'm, I'm just starting to book any shows so if you've got any recommendations or any of your listeners have i'm, I'm kind of all ears really. well we did speak to a couple of people this week on the podcast um we had uh, I Hope Your Flowers Bloom uh, by a guy from Glasgow called Raymond Wilson about healthy masculinity and men's self-worth and getting oh. lost in a world where, you know, a, a, a man might not meet the traditional expectations of what they want a man to be. Uh, so it sounds like a really interesting show. And we also had uh, we also had uh, Concerned Others on Tuesday night um, who basically explored the sort of substance abuse crisis in scotland and went to you know speak to people and just hear about their experiences and just learn about their lives and how, how they got there and it's a sort of documentary and of videos of just hearing from these people and, and certain so it's really interesting so i mean check out the podcast first and foremost <laughs> um and listen to them and, and hear for yourself it sounds it sounds great but I'll, I'll let you know if you want to come down to leaf and fancy a pint down here this is where we're based so uh we're all we're always welcome down here so yeah, great, great, great. Well, I'm up for three weeks, so let's make it happen. Nice one, man. Okay. Right, well, thank you very much for coming on the podcast uh, today, uh, Seamus. We're recording on Friday night, but we're going to release tomorrow. Is there anything you'd like to say to our listeners before you go? When, are, when are you, Where are you performing? How do you get tickets? Blah, blah, blah. Yes, that, that is very useful information, isn't it? Yeah, I always forget that. So I'm at the, I'm at the Lyceum, the Royal Lyceum in Edinburgh. Uh, we open on the 8th of august and we're running until the 27th and it's every day at half two apart from mondays nice nice one well is there anything else you want to say before you go no not that that is it that's it yeah i mean the, do you know what the one little fact i want to throw in okay is, you know how i said cornwall looks up to scotland as a sort of kind of like distant uncle that we admire mm -hmm. and the, the one thing that i always find really funny is that uh in the 80s somebody found a carving on the, on a on a bench and it was of a bagpiper and they said see look we do have our own bagpipes right? <laughs> and then, but they were quite weird bagpipes and they had two chances they're double chanted and someone oh. tried to make some and it was horrendous they sounded terrible they were kind of unplayable and they thought this isn't going to take off so they ended up using gleeson bagpipes so we kind of we looked to scotland like that and then in 1963 someone invented the cornish national tartan as well totally kind of influenced and in, in, in inspired by Scotland. So I just think there's some very sweet 
kind of connections there. And I think so. I think if you're a Scottish listener and and uh, or you know you whatever listener, but you live in Scotland, you come along. I think there's some fascinating parallels we could pick apart. Is that the tartan you're wearing in the photograph that you're yes. advertised? Nice one. It's a cool yeah. tartan. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> nice <Is> one, it? <laughs> man. Yeah, I'll be I'll be polite, but <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Nah. No, you don't. It's fine. No worries, right? Well, thanks for coming on, and uh, yes, please go see Seamus's show as uh, well as Raymond's and uh, the concerned others from Tortoise in a Nutshell. Uh, thank you very much for listening this week to our three-part series of the Edinburgh Fringe preview. Please come to Scotland's capital and explore all these fantastic shows and explore political themes through performance, something a bit different from the slog and the usual that you hear in the chamber. But thank you, guys, and take care. See you later.